choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. And it is the familiar music that tells us it's time to welcome into the studio Howard Parkin for this month's edition of the Manx Sky at Night. Faster my, Howard. Faster my, Judith. Nice to be here again. Well, it's great to welcome you in. The telescope is set up, the satellite dish is tuned. Yeah, we've now, a problem. It's cloudy. Oh. <laughs> but the satellite dish is good. <laughs> now, Howard, I know because you gave me a little sneak preview of the things that you're going to be talking about. We have once again got a packed programme oh, for the next you. 30 minutes. So much going on, it's unbelievable. And in the sky, in the, world of, in the field of space exploration, it's just, I can't keep pace with it myself. Well, do you know, I, I am, I've said to you before, I've, I am much more aware of space stories, particularly, or anything to do with it. And there seem to be, there do seem to be mm. so many stories. Well, I tell you a true story. I do my night school classes on a Wednesday at the college and every week I think, oh, I won't do much in the news story this time. I've got time for the main topics. But every week I've got to find two or three new stories. I mean, this is a classic example this week because I was quite happy going along. Everything was sorted out. And then the Chinese went and launched to the moon, didn't they? Well, I wish they'd left that a week. It'd be that's, a lot easier. That's, that's a bit important, isn't <laughs> oh, it? Oh, it was, really. Let's start close to home and uh, let's, let's talk about the skies because this well, is the prime time for stargazing, isn't This it? is the time of the year. I mean, you've only got to look up at the sky. It goes dark so early now. And we did have a couple of nice nights earlier this week. And we actually took my night school class out stargazing on Wednesday. Clouded over while we were out there, but never mind. But in the morning sky the other day, we could see the brilliant planet Venus. I'll start with the morning sky because um, it may be clear tomorrow morning, I doubt it. But you cannot mistake the brilliant planet Venus in the morning sky. In the eastern sky, um, a couple of hours before sun, sunrise, it's visible. And you can even spot it when the sun's up. It's that bright. Uh, you need to know where to look. But if you find it when it's sort of dusk, um, or, or dawn, I should say, um, and then keep watching it, you'll see it even in broad daylight. And a few weeks ago, well, a few days ago, about a week, 10 days ago, um, some way below it was the planet Mercury. So my plan then was to see Venus and Mercury I saw in the morning and then see the big planets in the night sky in the evening. Uh, we have Mars, of course, dominating the evening sky in the south. Very easy to spot, very red, very easy to see. Um, but then on the low on the western horizon, we've got the planet Jupiter and Saturn, which anybody who has been noticing these two, they're getting slowly closer and closer together until on the 21st of this month, they're going to be practically within touching distance of each other. Of course, they're nowhere near touching each other. Venus, uh, Jupiter is much nearer to us than Saturn is. Uh, they're still millions of miles away, uh, but they just happen to be in the same part of the sky. And in a small telescope, they will actually be visible um, in the same field of view. A really impressive conjunction. And, you know, linking into our religious uh, discussions we have from time to time, um, we believe well, one of the explanations for the Star of Bethlehem was it was a planetary conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn. Saturn, not once like we're having this year, but three times in quick succession. But that's a story for another time, I think. Indeed, yes. But it is something that we've talked about. Mm. And it is very interesting to know that there were factual things actually happening, yeah. that it wasn't just a story that somebody wrote down, Absolutely that there right. is uh, that there is the, the scientific data, even from that time, to support yeah. there was something they didn't understand what it, it was. It's the timeline everything else. Incidentally, yeah. I'm doing a lecture on the museum a week on Saturday. Uh, 13th of um, December, I'm doing my Star of Bethlehem talk at the Manx National Heritage. So if anybody's interested, come along to the museum and I'd hope to see you there. Is that a, a ticketed event? Yes, or? it's a ticketed event from the Manx National Heritage. Part of this stargazing series that I'm doing for them this winter. Right, and so the tickets for that? Through the MNH website. Go to the MNH website and then the tickets are available on there. Great. 
Thanks, Howard. Right. My pleasure. Now, go on. What next have we got? Well, following that, um, I'm going to talk on the Saturday, and then the following Monday, we've got the peak of the Geminid meter shower. Now, this is the time when I put my, my head up, put my hand above the parapet, my head above the parapet, and say, if it's a clear night on the 13th, um, probably the 12th, 13th, 14th, those nights, go outside, get your eyes juiced to the dark, and I guarantee you will see at least one or two meteors. Um, they always succeed for us because it's that prolific a shower. It's one of the best meter showers of the year. The Geminids um, and the Persids in August are the best two meter showers of the year. This year we're blessed because there's no full moon. The full moon is actually tomorrow morning at half past nine. For those who uh, might have noticed the moon tonight, it's just about visible in the clouds. Uh, it looks full, but it's not actually full till nine o'clock to, tomorrow morning. And then, of course, two weeks' time when the Geminids peak, we've got no moon in the sky, so the skies will be dark. So you need to be looking around midnight-ish is the best time to look in the eastern part of the sky with the winter constellations of Gemini and, of course, Orion and Taurus are rising. Uh, you don't need to know where Gemini is, just look in a, a rough easterly direction. And as I say, I'll almost guarantee you'll, you'll see. I've never been, I've never failed with the Persids or the Geminids yet. Mind you, it's probably been cloudy quite often, so that lets me off the hook. But um, they are the best two showers of the year, and the Geminids this year in particular, because there's no full moon to interfere, it's well worth a look. I am utterly determined that I am going to look for, if I have to stay wow. out for hours, because every time you've mentioned them before, and they are something that come mm. up quite frequently throughout a year, don't they? Oh, there's about seven, six or seven reasonable showers, but this is the best. Yeah, well, the other ones, I've always thought, oh, I must have a look, I must have a look. And either it's been cloudy or I've forgotten, I have to hold my hand up wow. and admit that, or I've just not been in the right place at the right time. You know, well, you've so, got a good view from where you are in the north of the island. Um, just look towards the Lake District sort of thing. That's where hmm. you're looking towards. So give it a go. And if it's clear, give yourself at least a member. I, I stress this as well. A, make sure you've got your eyes tuned to the dark. Give yourself hmm. at least 10 minutes. And if a car starts to come towards you, just close your eyes. Mm. Just close your eyes till the car goes past or the, the, or the light that's coming at you uh, disappears. Um, don't you know, get your eyes attuned to the dark and then all of a sudden the lights go on and then you've lost it again because you do mm. need to get, be dark adapted. It's all the same when we walk into a darkened room. We all, if we're in a darkened room and someone puts the lights on, we all blink. Well, it's the exact same effect but the opposite way around. Mm. Oh, you're absolutely right. And in fact, what I do is I just turn my head away when a car's coming towards yeah, me. I walk a lot. And in this weather, invariably, you, you know, you're walking in the dark yeah. after work and this kind of thing. Just turn my head away because you're right. It ruins your, it your night ruins vision. your eyesight and then, or your night sight and then and you've got to wait another five, ten minutes to get it back again. Right. And it makes such a difference on a clear mm. night. We were at the observatory a few nights ago, and uh, it was actually clear, actually, from our first open night, we had at the observatory at the end of October, and it was a clear night. And the amount of people that said, wow, hasn't it changed? Literally, in five minutes, they were outside. They suddenly could see far more. And it wasn't a particularly good night. What we call the seeing wasn't that good. There's a lot of water vapor in the atmosphere. Um, but it makes such a difference. So give yourself, wrap up warm, give yourself plenty of time and allow for at least half an hour, around midnight or thereabouts. And I guarantee if it's clear, you will see at least a meteor. Right. Well, me yeah, me too. when we when we get together in December oh dear. for this guy and I put it on the agenda to ask me if I saw yeah, that. I certainly will do. Yes, because I, there'll be there'll be trouble if I forget, won't there? Oh, there most certainly will. Right. So meteor shower. We, that's that's what we're going to be looking for. Right, so where do we go from there, Howard? What else? Well, I've already mentioned the Grand Conjunction, but I really can't stress enough that these two planets come together. It's worth just noticing yourself on a casual basis. Just see how they, they're quite low in the West now. They, they set on the 21st of December. They're going to set about half past six. So you really need to be looking about half past four. 
but they will be getting closer and closer together. And you can see the difference. Now I've noticed over the last few weeks how Jupiter is catching up on Saturn. It's not magic. It's not anything... Um, uh, mysterious. Jupiter orbits the Sun in 12 years, Saturn in 26 years, so therefore Jupiter is catching up with Saturn and going to overtake it. That's what's happening. But this time, instead of just overtaking it some distance away, it's going to appear, as I say, in the same field of view. For those who know about the measurements we use in the sky, they're only going to be six arc minutes away from each other. So as I say, in a small telescope or per binoculars, they will appear in the same field of view. And if it's a reasonable sized telescope, um, you'll be able to see the moons of Jupiter and the rings of Saturn in the same field of view. There's going to be some fantastic astronomical pictures coming out from this. So uh, we'll be watching the press closely over the next few weeks. Because there are some very skilled photographers oh, there I, and, I, I and such, such good equipment. Oh, yes. I mean, what's happened in recent years is photography has suddenly discovered astronomy is a subject they can do things with. Uh, the equipment has become so sophisticated and so easy to use that we've got quite a few um, photographers who have become astrophotographers and their pictures are just... I'm not a photographer. I'm, um, I can take the odd picture of something which you know I'm impressed with, but compared to what these guys are doing, there's, there's no contest and hats off to them. And um, I'm really looking forward to seeing some great pictures of this planetary conjunction, which is the best one, incidentally, for about 600 years. Uh, they've not been this close for about 600 years, so it's a special event. And tea time on the 21st of December... If you look on the 20th or the 22nd, they'll still be close, but you'll notice how quickly they do drift away from each other. Jupiter will move away from Saturn relatively quickly. But it, but it's just such an amazing thing. You're, you're saying they look close, and even the small telescope, you can see them in the same field of vision, and yet they are not. But Hundreds it, of millions of miles away from it, each other. It's an amazing illusion, isn't it? It is. Is the, is the 21st, will that be the shortest day? It is indeed. It's the summer solstice, the same day. It's a solstice-grand conjunction. The word grand conjunction is when the two giant planets of the solar system come together. Uh, so it's called a grand conjunction. And I only discovered that the other day. I thought it meant when there was a triple conjunction, because we do get triples, and that's about every 900 years. As I say, that's what we think the story of Bethlehem may have been. But um, that's, uh, as I say, another story for us. Yeah, indeed. But it, it is just... Um, it's incredible, yeah. It, yeah, it, it isn't as it looks the stars just spread out on a flat screen in front no, of no. us, which is the which illusion, the isn't it? Used to think, the ancients used to think the best analogy for ancient astronomy was they thought that they have, you've got the Earth in the middle um, of the universe, they thought at the time, and a glass sphere around the Earth, and all the stars were on this glass sphere and the, the lights were either set down through holes in the sky or painted on the glass. And that's it's observational evidence. And I stress this whenever I talk about astronomy. What you see with your eyes, you explain with your brain, and that will be fact until someone comes up with an alternative. And that's how it works. And that's how we used to believe all those years ago, this glass sphere around the Earth. All the planets, all the stars were the same distance away. Of course, nothing is further from the truth. But it suits our observational evidence of what we saw at that time. And all those romantic little stories that we like now and again. Oh, you the know, mythology. The, the mythology, oh, the yeah. legend. We like that. And, oh, absolutely. And I have to say that the idea of a glass globe around the Earth is quite a it nice fits, idea. It fits nicely, doesn't Isn't it? it? It fits yes. nicely from an observational point of view. And we astronomers actually, the phenomenon you use in astro um, in, in cosmology is where you, you, you place all the stars 32.6 light years away. And yeah. that's what we do with all the stars. You bring them all the same distance, then you can compare the luminosity and the spectral type and all that. And so we astronomers do the same on a theoretical basis, and we use 32.6 light years as our, as our measurement uh, using the parsec times 10, 10 parsecs away. 
Well, now you're speaking another language, aren't you, <laughs> sorry, Howard? Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, don't apologise. <laughs> no, but it's interesting that you use that principle yeah, because idea. how else would you know which one is brighter than that's another? Right. You would say, oh, well, that's because it's so many million light years away. Yeah, that's right. So you have to kind of have a mean average, haven't uh, you? I was just thinking of a great analogy here is if we look out the window here at Manx Radio and we look at the streetlights down there on Douglas Prom, and I know we can't because they're low down, but imagine a streetlight in front of you and Onkin in the background. That's like Jupiter and Saturn on a different scale. Obviously, the streetlight is much nearer, much brighter. The streetlights in Onkin are way over on the other head. But it's the same idea. Jupiter and Saturn are miles apart, but in the same field of view. Mm. Right. Now, anything else that we need to be particularly aware of in our local skies and our Manx skies? And there's one other thing I'll talk about in the second half as well, but the International Space Station is currently visible in our skies. I saw it the other night. Wonderful. Went between Mars and the Moon. It was wonderful to see. It's visible at the moment between now and the 11th of December in our evening skies. Usually twice. Um, It's quite early on. It's about five o'clock. Um, or six, seven o'clock, whatever, because of the time of the sunset. It's always governed by the time of sunset. But if you want to know exactly where to see it and when, um, you need to go to the heavensabove.com website and just put in Isle of Man, Onken, Douglas, wherever you like, and then um, you'll find out exactly where it is. And, you know, the other night I knew it was 32 degrees high and it was a big bank of cloud there. So I'm staring at this cloud at 32 degrees high and it appeared at the bottom. Because, of course, it goes up to 32. It didn't start at 32. And I think, where is it? Where is it? No, there it is. <laughs> so even there, although I know what I'm, I think I know what I'm doing, I still got it wrong. Not wrong. No, just just slightly not wrong. No, just, yeah. just uh, momentarily distracted. Absolutely. Well, we've yeah. talked about all these these lovely things that we can see in the sky. I think it's time that we have your very appropriate music choice that starts Indeed. off. Starry, starry night Paint your palette blue and grey Look out on a summer's day With eyes that know the darkness in my soul Shadows on the hills Sketch the trees and the daffodils Catch the breeze and the winter chills In colors on the snowy linen land Now I understand What you tried to say to me How you suffered for your sanity And how you tried to set them free They would not listen, they did not know how Perhaps they'll listen now Starry, starry night Flaming flowers that brightly blaze Swirling clouds in violet haze Reflect in Vincent's eyes of china blue Colors changing hue Morning fields of amber grain Weathered faces lined in pain Are soothed beneath the artist's loving hand Now I understand What you tried to say to me And how you suffered for your sanity And how you tried to set them free They would not listen, they did not know how 
Perhaps they'll listen now For they could not love you But still your love was true And when no hope was left inside On that starry, starry night You took your life as lovers often do But I could have told you, Vincent This world was never meant for one as beautiful as you Starry, starry night Portraits hung in empty halls Frameless heads on nameless walls With eyes that watch the world and can't forget Like the strangers that you've met The ragged men in ragged clothes A silver thorn, a bloody rose Lie crushed and broken on the virgin snow Now I think I know What you tried to say to me And how you suffered for your sanity And how you tried to set them free They would not listen, they're not listening still Perhaps they never Such a good choice, Howard. Don McLean and Vincent, a story of Vincent van Gogh, Starry, Starry Night. Well, from starry nights to space, and a lot has been going on. I'm talking to Howard Parkin. You're listening to The Manx Sky at Night for the month of November here on Manx Radio. Right. Take us out into space, Howard. Well, one of the most exciting things that's happened in the last few weeks is the launch of the first official Crew Dragon, the Crew 1 mission of the Dragon Resilience, is the name of the spacecraft, that was launched to the ISS a couple of weeks ago now. And this is the first time that they've launched a return crew or a crew to the International Space Station since the retirement of the Space Shuttle in 2011. So it really was uh, amazing, I think, to see. And this new spacecraft they've got, this Dragon spacecraft, it really is state-of-the-art. I mean, it had all these pictures of the launch and the astronauts on board uh, the Dragon spacecraft, four of them. And um, it's special interest to me because I had the privilege of meeting one of the crew um, two years ago in, um, in when I was on a cruise, and he was on board. And uh, so I followed with much interest that mission. And uh, as I say, I saw the ISS the other night. It's the first time I've seen it since they'd got on board. And uh, it's great to think, you know, someone on board that that you actually met, you know, such a nice bloke, a chap called Victor Glover. He's the pilot. And, you know, I met him and he was such a cheerful, bubbly sort of character. And when he got on board the ISS, they had the camera there on them as they came through the hatch into, into the ISS. And he had that same schoolboy grin on his face. He's a very talented uh, military test pilot, very clever bloke. But he just had that look on his face of, wow, I'm in space and I'm in zero gravity here on the International Space Station. It brought it home to me. And they're going to be on board for six months. They're going to be there till after Easter. And um, amazing to see. And, of course, as I say, we can see it um, passing over the Manx skies just at the moment. So look out for that. But, you know, we had a very important anniversary of the International Space Station. Literally on the 9th of November, I think it was, was the day when they officially had 20 years of continued occupation in space. 
and I was privileged to do a, a live link with Nicole again. Remember, I've told you this before and mentioned on there before that we did a live link with her when she was on board the ISS. Well, we did one for three of the schools in the Isle of Man at St John's. We had Arbury School and uh, St John's School and St Thomas's School all came to the school and we had a live link with Nicole at home in Florida and we spoke to her and the kids just loved it because, you know, they're talking... And she was there in her flight suit and everything else. She got a blue flight suit on. She's just a marvellous ambassador for space and the Isle of Man and it was a privilege to talk to her again and, um, of course, they can't come to the island just at the moment but uh, hopefully they'll get to see us sometime next year. We really hope so and uh, it's just great to see and there's just so much going on with the ISS and everything else and... Uh, We'll wait and see when the next mission goes. I think next one is April. I think they're going to do the next crew, which incidentally is going to be the wife of one of the ones that did the test mission back in May. So the Doug Hurley and Bob uh, Benkin, who went up in May, um, I've forgotten which one it is now, but the wife of one of them is going up on the next crew mission, which is mission uh, crew mission two. But it, it's almost becoming like um, a, a railway station, almost, you know, yes. people going, people coming back. And to think that it, that's been going on for 20 years, 20 years now, that yeah. is some amazing achievement, it is amazing. isn't it? I think what we've got to be aware of, though, we mustn't get complacent because that's what they did with the space shuttle when they had the two tragic uh, occurrences of the Challenger and Columbia disasters. And the, I think when things become routine, people take their eye off the ball a little bit and um, hopefully that's not the case and I sincerely hope it isn't but we saw that to great effect unfortunately just a few days after the ISS um, the, the Dragon launch um, a, a Russian no not Russian um, a European Space Agency vehicle uh, launching from French Guiana failed it got up so far, the first stage ignited and took them so far, then the second stage ignited, and there no men on board, of course, no men or women on board, this was two satellites, very expensive, a lot of um, expensive satellites on board, and it was down to human error, there was a wiring problem on the third stage, I think it was, and they know straight away it wasn't an engineering problem, it wasn't a major flaw, it was a someone put the wrong wire in the wrong a connector and they discovered that literally within hours and they realised what had gone wrong they obviously knew what it was but uh, it's too late that money is lost and it, space flight is not easy and it only needs a minor error and the consequence, consequences can be dire It's interesting to put those two stories in tension because mm. you're absolutely right when something's been going on for 20 years you would think oh we've got this sorted yeah. you know we know all about it but extraordinary Howard that all that equipment could yeah. be lost. I mean, thank God there were no people no, no involved. involved. But, but mm. all that precious equipment's lost from human error. You would think yeah. there would be so many checks, wouldn't you? You would really, when you think of it. It's just, it's just it's the same. But unfortunately, mm. you can, you can do anything. I mean, some terrible things happen on the earth, as we well know. Viruses, not just viruses, but accidents and that sort of stuff. And a lot of the times, it's human error. Mm. not having the foresight to think of what might happen. And we're much better now than we used to be years ago in any field of a human endeavour. But um, sadly, do things do go wrong sometimes. Yeah. But we just have to have a little bit of humility I wherever so. we are, whether I we're on the earth the word, yeah. or whether, whether we're in space. Wherever we are. Now, um, China. I know, this is the one I was vexed about because I was trying to get ready for my class last Wednesday and this happened on the Tuesday. So like, oh dear. <laughs> so I had to set to and find out all about this mission. The Chinese have launched a spacecraft to the moon, Chang'e 5. The Chinese are slowly plugging away at a lot of space exploration missions. They're on the way to Mars. They've got a rover rolling around the far side of the moon at the moment. It's still working. Um, a, over a year later, it's still working, the U-2 rover. Um, lovely story. It's named after the lunar rabbit because the Chinese believe there's a rabbit in the moon. Back to our ancient mythology and all that. Um, and U-2 in Chinese is rabbit. So they named the rover rabbit. 
And um, But they're now landing on the moon. They, they went into orbit around the moon literally yesterday. It was announced yesterday morning. They'd got successfully into lunar orbit. They're now circularizing the orbit, which is what they have to do. Then they're going to deploy this lander, and then they're going to drill down. They're going to grab some moon rock, and then bring it back up from the lunar surface, rendezvous with the orbiter, and come back to the Earth and drop it off on the Earth um, early December. Very ambitious mission. A lunar orbit rendezvous by um, unmanned vehicles has never taken place. The Americans, of course, did it successfully with the Apollo era, uh, but no one's ever done it remotely um, with automated vehicles. So, fingers crossed it works. And the Chinese really are pushing ahead. And um, they, sometimes people say the space race was won by the Americans, and that's the end of it. But no, the Chinese are plugging away. They're in the process of building their new space station. There's going to be a Chinese space station, I believe, launching in 2022. And they've already launched a smaller version as a test version, and they had three astronauts, or Tychonauts, they call them. If you're Chinese, you're a Tychonaut. Tychonauts, cosmonauts, and astronauts. Just very confusing. Um, but um, that's 2022. And, of course, as I say, they're already on the way to Mars. Um, not manned again, I stress. They are going with an unmanned vehicle, which is going to get there in mid-February, which I'm sure you and I will be talking about at length in the course of the next few months. Howard, I hope we will be. But the space race is never finished. It's no, continuous, it isn't is. it? And it, it frustrates me, and I probably mentioned this before, it really frustrates me when people say, oh, you shouldn't be spending money on space. We should be spending it on climate control or poverty or whatever. We're not launching £50 notes into space. On the Earth, research and development and technology and employment and social care and health care and all this sort of stuff are being brought about by the money that is generated by an industry that is pushing our endeavours into space. And dare I say it's a bit like warfare. The space race, the Cold War, um, was often likened to being a war. And at times of warfare, when countries are fighting, in, uh, albeit... um, on the drawing board rather than uh, on the field. Um, You have huge leaps in technology, and that's what we're doing now. Uh, The only restriction we've got on our exploration is cost. And uh, I understand, unfortunately, that Mr Biden, the new president of the United States, has already indicated he doesn't want to spend as much money on spaceflight, but I'm hoping we've gone so far now that he won't pull the plug on the latest missions to NASA planning, but that remains to be seen. Big subject, Howard, and and I, I don't want to, to be trivial about it, but equally, I don't want to, to run out of time no, for no. two things I want to ask you about. First what? of all, we're going to end up by talking about you and what you're doing all and right. what we can join in on. But also, something, we talked about this Arecibo oh, um, yes, dish. Yes. Now, oh, there was it's... what looked like a little bit of damage, and yeah. you said, I'm sure it'll be okay. But now it's got worse. Yes, it's got dramatically worse. In fact, as of the moment, the Arecibo dish has been written off and is going to be decommissioned. It's going to be uh, scrapped because they can't fix it. And basically, you've got this crater, which has got um, an artificial crater on top of a a natural crater. And uh, this has got a huge thing suspended above it with some very big cables. And a small cable broke last August and it hit the dish and smashed some of the dish. But that was comparatively easy to repair. And they were just in the process of trying to get to fix it and one of the main big cables broke if you actually look at their website you'll see a cable which is probably the width of a human arm and it's it's hanging straight down now rather than angled and they don't believe they can fix it economically and there's talk of well they have they have said they're going to dismantle it that said there's a white house petition being launched now but you've got to be an american citizen otherwise i'd sign it you've got to be an american citizen because it is run by uh, the united states even if it's in puerto rico which is a protectorate but then um, they are hoping that this petition will gain enough signatures i think 600,000 has to get uh, to then be discussed in the senate and the, yeah. the american congress but, and all that but so. even if it's discussed it may still be the end yeah. i was very fortunate
fortunate to go there in 2017 and I saw this for myself and it was it was like driving the top of Snaefell. It was a very dirt track practically up to this place and when you open it up and you get there, it's just so um, amazing. And um, I was delighted to be there and now I see that it, it may be completely scrapped. But they were struggling for money then and they've been hit by the hurricane in uh, 1990, uh, 2017 yeah. and again so. maybe just maybe just too many things yeah. against them right we're almost out of time Howard but go on when where can we meet you we've got we've got the, the one at Manx we've National got the Heritage Museum on the 13th Manx. of December that's my Christmas star lecture but we're also doing the Astronomical Society of myself are doing one on the 2nd of January with Alaman Railways great Christmas present for people we're doing a train trip um, on the train a meal on the train and when we come back if it's cloudy um, we'll have a talk by myself in the um, ticket office but if it's clear we'll go down to Poulson Park and do some stargazing there that's on the 2nd of January so tickets for that need to be sold really before Christmas and then I'm doing another talk on the 8th of January January down at the Sound. And the other big thing I just want to mention, and thanks to everybody who's interested in it, at the Astronomical Society, we had an open night at the end of October, the first one. We had the second one last Friday, and we will be doing some more. The January one is sold out now, so please don't ask us about tickets for the January one, but we will be doing one in February and March, and the tickets for that will be available on Eventbrite, but they won't be announced until the beginning of January. So we can talk about that one when we meet up. Right in the middle of all the festivities, 27th of December, we'll be back here for the December edition of The Sky at Night. Howard Parkin, thank you very much indeed for joining me. And this programme will be available as a podcast bright and early tomorrow morning. Go to manxradio.com to listen again. The Nation Station. Thanks, Ray.